guys. Play. Play. Today, uh, we are going to be talking about rest. We're going to be in Hebrews. Uh, before we dive into Hebrews, I want you guys to know that uh, I will always be a truthful pastor to you, and most pastors cannot be this truthful with you. Uh, but this right here is my 2003 Hebrews class information. Right here. Uh, uh, the part that I have to be truthful about is all throughout middle school, high school, and college, I did not get a worse grade than this class. This class uh, was the lowest one that I had. I don't, I, so I was fun sort of digging back through, being like, okay, over 20 years ago, one, hopefully I've learned a few things, and two, I don't think I deserved as kind of great as I got. Went through, I think it was more really my personality and the teacher and me more, not, I don't know, I thought everyone loved me, maybe not. Uh, but no, looking through, Doug, you didn't need to laugh that hard. Uh, so this is my information, and uh, a lot of it I felt was, uh, was really good. Um, but as you learn, and I think it's a great reminder that where you're at today, you might not be where you're at in five years, ten years, twenty years. When I look back now, I wish I, I would have even probably tried harder. You look back and you think about decisions you've made and different kinds of concepts. But we're going to dig into Hebrews today, and we're going to start with point number one, which is the intro to Hebrews. A little bit of background, a little bit of information so that we can start to understand what is going on. Hebrews is, is sometimes a letter that... Uh, it, it talks a lot. It's a, it's a deeper kind of book in the sense that uh, you're all over the place, uh, but you're also processing. You need to know the background of what's going on. The author or authors is unknown. Okay? There's my, there, it could have been Paul. Some think that it could have been written by a woman, which is Priscilla. Uh, just to be honest, uh, I don't think it was that. There's uh, many times in like Hebrews chapter 11 in different uh, sections where there's masculine terms used in nouns and verbiage. So I, I, I lean to that, but there is some of that talk. Some think it's a policy. No matter what, most believe that it was uh, in the Paul circle, you know, because he knew Timothy, the writer that our writers that knew what was going on in that kind of circle. Uh, the writing style is a little bit different than Paul. Um, and the, the way the vocal and sentence differences in the Greek is a little bit different. I like how Dr. Michael, Michael Heiser says that it's, it's elevated. It's elevated from the different kind of writing style. Uh, also, Paul doesn't introduce himself in Hebrews like he does in many other letters uh, that someone leave uh, that, uh, that he did not write Hebrews. Let's write something so about the author that the author is really good at. The author knows the Old Testament. The author truly knows the Old Testament and the Septuagint is used a lot. Okay? And now some of you are like, what's the Septuagint? It sounds like a fancy word. The Septuagint is the ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Okay? So it's a translation. It's the ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Okay? So uh, he uses that a lot. Okay? So... Sort of the author is unknown uh, to the best of the ability. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It's also who he's writing to. Who are they writing to? The audience. Okay. This letter is written to a group of Christians with a huge Jewish context. Okay. There's also a very urgent tone. An urgent tone to the letter. This is uh, speculation, but a lot of people believe that this was probably a home group or a house group that uh, maybe had split. That was thinking about splitting. That had sort of maybe had differentiating views from the rest of the church. Uh, many believe it was uh, in this kind of setting. So you can start thinking of this kind of setting. These were probably Jews. They had found Jesus. So they were now following Jesus. And then there is mass persecution going on to Christians at this point. And so they are now probably contemplating going back to their Jewish roots or going back. Okay. Now, if you have ever seen uh, the Apostle Paul movie with Jim Caviezel in it, um, they do a good job of representing. Uh, when I'm hearing per talk about persecution, if you talk about some of the Roman emperors at that time, they would take Christians and literally use them as light posts at night by setting them on fire. 
It was, this is true persecution. This is uh, afraid of death, afraid of what would happen to me and my family. So there's persecution going on. And so the audience, you have to think about this being read. That's why this is an urgent letter. The time frame is, is most people would say around 60 to mid 60s AD, before 70 AD. 70 AD is the fall of the temple. Most people uh, would assume that that big of an event would be read in the scripture. So most people believe that the time frame is around 60 uh, to mid 60 AD. Um, uh, also, I just want to give a, a little bit of an outline. If you're doing your study, here's a couple of nice little things that can trigger your uh, trigger your mind as you're reading. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 through 4, verse 13, is all about Christ's royal sonship. Okay, It's about Christ's royal sonship. Verses right after that, chapter 4, 14 through 10, verse 18, so that's chapter 4, 14 through 10, 18, is all about the superiority of Christ's priesthood. It uh, really deals a lot with priesthood. And 10, 19 to the end, is all about the exhortation, which is uh, urging someone emphatically and encouraging believers. And that deals with the end. That should give you a little bit of context as well as going on, because we're going to be in Hebrews 4 today. But, and this is, and I know many of you have heard this before, I don't always love chapter numbers, because they sort of split things that should really be together. Because right at the beginning of chapter 4, it says, therefore. Well, if you look at therefore, that means it ha- there had to be something for us. So we're going to dig a little bit into chapter 3, and then uh, we'll help fill us uh, fill in the rest of line 4 on what is happening before. I'm letting the, uh, no, the rest is mentioned. We're just going to be going through uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. But throughout the chapter, rest is mentioned 10 times. Rest. We need to understand what's he talking about when you use rest. What is the definition of rest? And number point number two, who doesn't want rest? No? And I'm not talking nap. Don't nap on me yet. Okay, you guys can make it time for lunch. Okay? Rest equals the presence of God. Rest is the presence of God. Uh, an old Puritan commentary, uh, commentary, John Owen, says rest can also mean uh, peace with God. Rest can mean ceasing of work. Rest can mean deliverance from the burdens of the Mosaic observation. Rest could mean the freedom of worship according to the gospel. And rest means the rest that God himself enjoys. Rest is something that Jesus set apart as holy. We talked a little bit about Sabbath. Most of us, when we hear rest, we think of relaxation, or we think of the Sabbath is set apart, and that's set apart, and that's what Jesus is. And what is rest? The presence of God. And before we, like I said, dive into chapter 4, we need to know chapter 3. And the chapter 3 is all dealing with the lack of faith. And deals with unbelief. And you really want to know what rest is. You have to know what belief and unbelief is. So let's take a look. If you can with your Bibles, look at Hebrews 3, 16 through 19. It says this. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? See, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So most of us know, most of us call back, is Moses leading his people out of Egypt. They were off to the promised land. And as many of you know, they were not able to enter God's promised land, or the home of rest, the presence of God, because of their unbelief. If we look at rest, it takes us to the presence of God. When you think of that, it takes you of a time of when you were back in Eden, the Garden of Eden, when you were in the presence of God, the time of creation, that there should be temple things going off in your mind. Rest is being, as Heiser would say, being in God's home. So what keeps us from being in rest with God? In the presence of God. Just take a look at verse 19, chapter 3, where it says, the unbelief is the problem. It says, so why were they not able to enter? Because of their unbelief. If you look at the whole chapter 3 of Hebrews, you will see that the major problem that they are dealing with uh, is that of unbelief. As we talked about a little bit earlier, this is a letter that was probably talking to people that were thinking about leaving the faith. 
so far, if you've been reading along, nowhere in the writings yet is this a behavior-driven process of why they could not enter rest. But it has to deal with either belief or unbelief in God. What an amazing thing it is to know that. If your faith, your belief, your rest is in Christ, it is sealed. As Heiser once again states, he says, this is not about moral perfection. This is not about optimism. This is not about how do I measure up. This has to deal with our confidence in God. Now, confidence is a great word to also hook up with the word hope. The word hope. When most people wear, uh, think of the word hope, they think of optimistic. Okay? Like hope, it seems like that one time when I was probably in seventh grade, and I was hoping that this girl, I'm sorry, my wife, uh, her name was Lindsay, I was hoping that she would go out with me. I was hoping there was an optimistic chance, but the odds were not forever in my failure. I was not very confident. I was not very like, oh, I have no, this is all, maybe, maybe not. I don't even know what we're doing if I do say we're going out, because I can't drive. My parents don't want me to date anyone anyway, so just think you're cool. Uh, but there's, a, there's an optimism. The Bible is a little bit different, a perspective in how we look at hope. Hope here, and especially chapter 3 and chapter 4, is that of certainty, that of being active, boldness, living boldly. You're not just standing by, hoping that life sways you. Side by side. No, you are actively, your, your certainty and your hope is found in Jesus, Christ. Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the gospel, not you. Your actions, your lives don't bring you to salvation, but your confidence, your believing loyalty, and active hope in Jesus does. Just a little bit more background of chapter 3, so we get to 4. Chapter 3's main verse that deals with everything is uh, verse 6. It's the, the center point of chapter 3. It says this. It says, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence, our hope, and the hope, oh, there it is again, in which we glory. I find that like, like Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Okay, that's God's house. We talked about Eden earlier, God's presence. And we are his house if we indeed hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. You know that so far, once again, this has nothing to do with our performance in this verse. Our confidence and our hope have to be in him alone. And when it is in him, we are in God's house. We are in God's presence. Today we are going to talk about the, uh, and continue to talk about the belief in uh, Christ and no other gods, no other false gods, no, no God at all. We are going to continue to talk about what it means to truly have our belief that leads us to rest, the presence of God. So let's start with chapter 4, verse 1. As I said earlier, it says, Therefore, since the promises of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. If we take a look at the promise, we'll just start, we'll stop right there, but then verse one. If we take a look at the promises of entering, his rest still stands. This takes a look at the lives of people at the time. He's talking to the people that have maybe walked away, that are thinking about walking away. And I want you guys to know in your own mind, many of us have known people that have walked away, that are, have known faith and walked away. And he is saying right here, right now, he's saying, the promises still stand. They haven't changed just because of where you've gone. Some of us are scared that we know loved ones. They have seen the faith. They have, they have known it. They've walked away. Promises still stand. Why in the Old Testament? Hey, why in the Old Testament would God send prophets to people that have turned away from Him? Because He wanted Him to repent, turn away. Even though the, the people were chosen, they were hated by God. They were chosen by God. They had walked away. God sent prophets after them and continued to communicate with them to turn back, to turn back, repent, repent. In your life, I want you guys to realize there's a difference between belief and unbelief, and then questions. 
having questions, having those kind of concerns does not fall you into unbelief. It is when you totally give up, when you're totally done, you're totally done. There's questions. Why did, why did so many people die? Why do these situations happen? But there is a belief that God entrusted in God and continue to glory to him even when it all doesn't make sense. There are either doubts. But then there is a fact of packing it in and going, I'm going this way. I'm, I'm turning. I'm doing this. There's a difference between that. And I want you guys to address that because I know some of us as Christians, we have a question. We're like, oh, are we out of the faith? Or does God not love us anymore? Does that not have, what is that view? And what you are doing right now, honestly, is turning the gospel into a false gospel. I'm getting to the end uh, a little bit early, but that's what happens sometimes. Because what you've done is you've turned it into about you. Here's the, here's the great twister. It's the twist at the end of the movie. It's not about you. It's never been about you. It's never. It's about Jesus and what he's done for you. And when your belief is in that, then it's all gratitude. It's all grace. Because then you really understand what grace is. It makes Romans 5 invalid. Because it makes it invalid because Jesus is Jesus. 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if Christ loved you while you were a sinner, so think about this, now you're a believer, you're a Christian, and then you sin, a lot of us think, well, now God doesn't love me anymore. It doesn't make sense. He already loved you when you were a sinner. And it doesn't have to do with your performance. It's about your believing loyalty and where you lie. And if you don't believe that and you keep falling back to your own structure and your own problems, you'll read throughout Hebrews. This is what the, who they're talking to. This is where you have fallen short because you are not thinking of godly. You're thinking of yourself. And it's the false gospel. Let's continue. I can go down rabbit holes. But let's look at, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 11. 28. It says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus is saying I will give you rest. I'm asking, is, is Jesus saying at that point, is he giving you a, a, an extended weekend? Is he giving you a three-week vacation? Is he giving you, what, what's he giving you? He's giving you the presence of God. The peace of God. He's giving you, that when you look at scripture and it opens up your eyes, how you look at it, that is what Jesus is giving you. It's how beautiful. He's giving you a home, a home the Eden, it's the deliverance, those things should be going off in your head. Let's continue in verse 2, uh, 4. It says, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter the rest, just as God has said. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Okay? So now, who have believed enter that rest, our presence of God. What other performance did they do to enter God's presence? They believed. They believed they did not turn to any other gods or no God at all. They, these people believed. They didn't do some incantation. They didn't do one prayer. They didn't do one thing that makes them, hey, I believe, and then I can do whatever I want the rest of my life. They believed, and they continued on with it. Let's take a look. It says, so, so that I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter the rest. Let's take a look. That's, that's another callback. This is a callback. This is why he knows his Old Testament. He knows his Septuagint. Let's take a look at where this is at. Um, he actually pulls it back, and we'll get to the Old Testament. He actually pulls this back in uh, chapter 3. But we were just in. This is a pullback in chapter 3. You're going to see the exact same thing. Verses 7. Right after the main verse of 6, we go to 3. This is 7 through 11. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. So, remember, the, when you hear the wilderness, the Old Testament is calling you back. You should be thinking of stuff in the Old Testament. Where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did. 
Beach, what they saw what he did out of Egypt, out of the Red Sea, manna, your brain should be going or That is why I am angry with that generation. I said their hearts were away, going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declare on, uh-oh, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Okay? It's mentioned twice now. It's probably important. It's mentioned in the chapter 3. It's mentioned in chapter 4. They will never enter my presence. They will never enter my promised land. Point number 3. It's not performance. It's believing loyalty. So, now our brains are served looking at the Old Testament. Let's remember the story. The Israelites are in the wilderness. They have been grumbling. You know the story. They were having issues in there. But they get close to the promised land. What do they do? They send 12 spies. Right? Remember the 12 spies that go out to check the land? To check it out. To come back and report. Well, they send back. Ten come back with a bad report. Saying, it's too big. There's giants up there. There's, we can't take it. There's no way. And two... Say, we got this. We, we believe that God has this. We believe that God will take care of us. As you notice, God gives them over. What really happens is he lets them, he lets the people have unbelief in God. you got to remember that these are the same people that I just said. Got them out of Egypt, through the plagues. They walked through water. They saw, like, they experienced God, and they still have unbelief. So what happens is in every man, all the men over 20 are not allowed to enter the promised land. The rest. But the two that did believe, Joshua and Caleb, they were allowed to enter. What performance or acts of service did Joshua and Caleb do? They just believed. They just believed that God would do it. They didn't go out and do 48 hours of work, and the guy's like, oh, that's good enough, you're in. They just believed in the presence and trust of God. The writer of Hebrews is calling back to the fact of not going to unbelief, but believing in the hope of Christ alone. As we continue on, let's take a look at verse 6 of chapter 4. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today, that he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This, this passage leads us to Psalms 95. It takes us to Psalms 95, verses 7 and 8. And it says this, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pastor, of the flocks, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Remember, like you just heard that up there. It says, today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts, as you did in Meribah, which means the quarreling, and as you did in the day of Messiah, the day of testing in the wilderness. Once again, he is reiterating, and he is calling back the people not harden the hearts. It's saying the same stories over to, in the testing. Now, many of you in your life, you might be going through a testing. You might be going through sometimes of being like, God, where are you? God is saying, do not go to unbelief. This writer is telling you, do not go to unbelief. Stay strong. Do you know that probably in the upcoming years, there's going to be more persecution of Christians? This letter is for those in persecution. This letter is for those in China. This letter is for those all around the world that don't have it. They say, don't give up the faith. Don't give up unbelief. Or in belief. Go to unbelief. There's a process, and many scholars believe it's here, but not yet. And that means that Jesus has come. The cross has come, but the total eradication of sin has not yet happened. Right? That will happen a day soon, when Jesus comes back. But it's here right now that we have the opportunity, a great opportunity, that those before the cross did, that we have rest in Christ, rest in Jesus, the presence of Christ today. So many of us think about it in the future. Oh, one day, one day I will be able. Yeah, the total completion. But we have this rest to be able to be in the presence of God. You know that when you read the scripture, you have the opportunity to be in the presence of God. It's not a chore to check off. All of a sudden, I read three times today, God loves me more. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with it. You get to be in the presence of God. Because you're together. It's the belief of God. 
This is a person who made it as a checklist that if you do eight hours of work, that you're better than someone that did six hours of work. Are you right? Are you praying on it? God doesn't keep a check mark. Do you believe or do you not believe? Does it believe it? I know this is radical. This is a Western culture thing, but I'm just trying to preach what the Bible says, not what John thinks, not what you think, what the Bible saying, and that is what the letter of Peter is saying. Peter is saying, don't go to unbelief. Don't go to belief. When you pray, you get to be in the presence of the Lord Almighty. Because Jesus died, and you get to go and be at the temple. You're, you're there. What a beautiful thing. That so many of us are lost because we make it a chore. Don't make it a chore. Make it a rest. The rest will then give you peace. It will give you comfort. That is how we are supposed to live. That, I think, is what we're supposed to live to our neighbors. Because when people will see something different, if you live like that, not in a way of being like, oh, I... Glad I read my five minutes today. Glad I checked that off the list. That's your heart. It's a heart. That's what happens in the law. You know what I see that? Throughout Hebrews, it's saying that's why Jesus is greater than the law. Because what the law became was the checklist. It became the, oh, if I don't do this on the Sabbath, I'm better. And I tell you how to do it. Jesus said, no. I think us as a church, us as a nation, as believers, need to get our rest is in Christ, in Christ alone. Because he gets us to the body. He gets us in the guy home. If you have felt, you have felt. It's a works-based relationship. It's a transaction between you and God. I'm asking you to repent. I'm asking you to repent from that. I can say I've been there in my life. And it's been, okay, God, I do this. Woo! You'll have me more. It's nothing to do with me. I get the privilege, the honor, the gratitude my life towards him. That's what it is. That's where my believing loyalty is. And I'm asking you to do the same. Wherever you're at, repent from the transaction. And get on your knees. And know that he is Lord of all. Father, Father, as we worship you, may we know that the altar is open and we can come up here and repent or praise your name. Or maybe it's from our seats, by standing or on our knees or wherever it is. May we know that not our action, but our belief in you, our heart towards you, is the relationship together. And may we rest in that. May that rest be in you alone, not our actions. We love and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.